This is Homebound Oregon, a podcast created for these uncertain times, set in the town of Ashland, Oregon, right here in the foothills of the Cascade and Siskiyou Mountains. We are cutting our own hair, badly. Anyone you see with a hat is most likely the victim of self-barbering. Turns out YouTube videos are not enough. We are homeschooling our children, poorly. A friend of mine, their system is in the morning, our young daughters lock themselves in the bathroom. They then slide completed math worksheets out under the door in exchange for toast. This is Family Life 2020. And we've had an organ spring, moody, with rain, hail, snow, bursts of warm sunlight. We like the snow and rain here in Oregon. It's good for the rivers, good for the trees, keeps the summer fires at bay. As people withdraw into their homes, nature fills the gap. Down at Ashland Creek, a pair of beavers have moved in and are building a dam without a city permit. The creek is now backing up and has washed out the walking trails. And with less human activity, you can hear the western birds out and singing. The red-winged blackbird, the sparrows, the dark-eyed juncos. In the fir tree alongside my neighbor's house, a lone hermit thrush sings each day at dusk. And if you stop and sit quietly, you can feel the sadness of this time. Each of us is living with some kind of loss, a loss of income, loss of jobs, loss of activities we love, so many arts events canceled, sports canceled, weddings, graduations, reunions, get-togethers. And you can feel what psychologists call the anticipatory grief. The mixture of sorrow and fear we feel about the future loss of activities, security, and people. There's this growing awareness that we are fragile creatures with very little control, and that at any moment, the tide can wash in and take everything with it. How do we live with the heaviness of loss? Well, one way is with humor. Before we hear our story for this episode, I thought we might begin on a lighter note with a song from my friend Mark Gosnell. First, I thought I'd give him a call and check in. Hello. Hello, Mark. Hello, hi, Mark. Hey, how are you living through this time? Well, you know, I don't mind being rolled up a little bit. It's, I feel like it's kind of slowed me down and... Uh, you know, I worry about stuff, especially at night. <laughs> um, I start to think about stuff and maybe get a little paranoid about what's going on. And I worry. But for the most part, during the day, I'm pretty calm. And so I, I kind of just sit around and draw pictures and write songs and stuff like that. So, and, you know, eat a can of tuna fish now and then. So, Mark, in uh, 2015, you played a song at the hearth called Dog Food and Beer. 
And I thought, you know, one of the ways we live through loss is with a sense of humor, uh, humor as medicine. And, and the character in your story seems like he's down on his luck. He's having a hard time. He's low on money and he's lost a lot, but he hasn't lost his sense of humor. craftsman, and songwriter Mark Gosnell, who is no longer the designated shopper for his family. So each of these episodes, we present a story from the hearth, that community gathering that we've had for 10 years prior to the coronavirus. And in looking for a story of loss, I thought of Ken Crocker. Ken's lived here in the Valley for a number of years. He's raised two daughters here. He's an environmentalist, a mediator, and he shared a grief story last fall. The theme that night was rites of passage. Ten years ago, I was sitting on the ground cross-legged, about 15 miles east of here, 
and a ponderosa pine forest up behind the green springs. In front of me on the ground was the carcass of a dead raccoon. And sitting with me was another man, Pete Young, and 15 boys between the ages of 9 and 12. This was a rite of passage weekend that Pete had designed for these boys. And we were sitting in a circle around this dead animal as part of an exploration of death. Because boys that age, or children that age, are naturally curious because they're starting to understand their own mortality. And as a rite of passage weekend, or a traditional rite of passage weekend, the participant is invited to leave the familiar, leave the known, leave the comfortable, and cross into a liminal space or a threshold. And from that space to discover and and bring forth their gifts, and then they're welcomed back into their community bearing those gifts. And so this weekend was designed to be age appropriate because these boys are pretty young. And it wasn't an accident that we had found this animal in the woods because driving up that weekend, I had a shovel and a garbage bag and I found roadkill. And I went for a walk in the woods and found a good spot and placed this animal there. And then that morning we told the boys, we're gonna go for a walk in the woods. And we just happened to come across this animal. And so we sat in a circle around it and the boys were fascinated by it. And we invited them to see what they notice about it. And they realized that they saw the organisms that were feeding off of the carcass and quickly came to the conclusion that when things die, they become food for other things. And then Pete asked the boys, what would happen if nothing ever died? And there was a pause. And then you could feel the energy of the circle come up. And one of the boys said, there'd still be dinosaurs. And like popcorn, things started coming out as their imaginations went wild. And then one of the boys said, but it would get really crowded. (laughs) And then I asked, what would we eat if nothing ever died? And there was a pause. And we quickly landed in that place of getting the link between without death, there can be no life. And that was a poignant moment for me in my own exploration. And I was reminded when I was 13, I was sitting in a classroom in Fairborn, Ohio, outside of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where my father was an officer in the Air Force. And it was a math class, and I was sitting in the front row, and the teacher was writing on the chalkboard, and the door to the classroom opened. And the teacher went silent and looked over her shoulder And I looked over my shoulder, and in the open doorway, I saw my two brothers. And in that moment, I knew. I gathered my things, and I quietly walked up the aisle through the silent classroom, feeling a sense of isolation and a sense of dread, magnified by the eyes on me of my silent classmates. And I walked out into the hallway, and I looked up at my brothers, and not a word was said. And we walked down this long corridor of this old school building 
where our footsteps echoed off the walls and we walked in silence out to the car. And we got in the car and started driving and not a word was said. And we got to the hospital on the Air Force Base and we went up to the ward where my father had been fighting cancer for five years or five months. And as we were walking down the hallway, the gurney was rolled out of the room where he had been and his body covered in a sheet. And I stepped backwards as the gurney was rolled past me and not a word was said. I went into the room where my mother was, where my father had been. And for the first time in five months, I broke down in tears and went into her arms. And I still remember that sense of feeling isolation and feeling this wealth of feelings I didn't know what to do with. My parents had been Depression-era children, and stoicism and determination were what was role-modeled for me. And I still remember, even with my siblings there and my mom there, just this sense of, of fear, of dread, and resistance to these feelings. That was a moment in my life where nothing would ever be the same. I crossed a threshold into an unknown. And because I didn't have the guidance of a traditional rite of passage, I didn't have guides or role modeling, in a sense I was stuck in that threshold place of resisting uncomfortable feelings. And even moving through my teen years and into my adult years, I was still stuck in that place. I would find connection with others through doing things that I love doing, like skiing and mountaineering and mountain biking. And I was able to find joy, but what were difficult emotions, I avoided, I resisted, I was guarded and shut down. 30 years after my dad died, I was in Napa, in a canyon outside of Napa Valley at a one-week retreat. And in essence, that was also a rite of passage. I was invited to cross a threshold and to go in and start exploring. And one day during that retreat, I walked up a trail on a hillside through a scrub oak forest, and I sat on the ground. And I wrote my father a letter. And I told him how much I missed him. Told him about my life, even how angry I was that he wasn't there and how sad I was that he wasn't there and that he died at a young age of 51. And then I wrote another 20 pages and I imagined myself in his footsteps and I wrote his autobiography based on stories I'd heard and the, and the sense I had of who he was and things I'd gone through in the attic and I just had a sense of what his childhood was like and what his life was like, even being shut down emotionally and what that must have been like and how frustrating, because I could relate to that. And from that place, I truly felt like I got to know this man for the first time. And that was when my heart cracked open and I was able to cry. So it's from that place of that opening heart that I was able to sit with these boys in the circle 15 miles east of here 10 years ago. And when the talking stick was passed, with the invitation to share how death had had, or an experience of how we'd experienced death 
to whatever extent we were willing to share. I was able to share with these boys what it was like for me to lose my dad at 13 and to feel so shut down and not know what to do with it, and then to finally be able to grieve for him and truly miss him. And while I still feel and struggle with those feelings of resistance and shut down and being guarded, I'm so grateful that I've also learned to, to surrender to the depth of emotion that is, is there, even when the depth of that emotion is the heavy emptiness of grief. Thank you. that you're experiencing right now during this time? It's a combination of letting go of my plans and dreams for at least the near-term future. I'm assuming none of those are going to happen. It's the sense of loss of, I think, connection. Being isolated, being quarantined, only seeing people through Zoom, uh, there's there's a grief there around kind of a forced isolation or a sense of loss of of meaningful connection that happens face to face. I think there's grief for a loss of a sense of safety. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because in my story I talk about rites of passage. I think as a as a species, a humanity is going through a rite of passage, and. When this virus hit, at that moment, we crossed this threshold and things will never be the same again. I want to close with a song from the fellow Pinans, a folk duo here in Ashland who are raising their two young children up in the mountains just outside of town. I called Danny Albert of the Pinans to ask her if she would sing a song she wrote called Dear Ones. But before she recorded it, I asked her where the song came from. It was a dream I had. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about my partner and I, about Ian and I. It was so strong. It was one of those, just like those dreams that were just, it was, felt so real and so powerful and meaningful. And the, the next day I woke up and went straight up to Tub Springs. And I was there with, with my my daughter on my on like in a backpack on my back and I had a, I knew she was ready for a nap so I put her on my back and just started walking through the forest around the spring and was thinking about the dream and this melody came and then the words started just filling in blanks and mm-hmm. just told the told the story of the dream so that you know forever that dream could you know be ingrained in in a, in a feeling and that I could like listen back to and not forget what is the feeling for you um the feeling was it was experiencing kind of stepping through that veil of life and death and feeling some fear but mostly feeling that sense of surrender and that everything was going to be okay 
Dear ones, dear ones, I've come here to tell I'll tell you of a heart strong, open mind And in this tale there was a lady who loved him Her lips upon his heart Oh, do not weep for the storm did call to the crumbling of the mountain steep. Oh, he was there in the sea to find her. Their hands they held in time to see The mountain side it fell upon them And pushed them deep into the sea They knew, they knew their fate would find in a place where their hands no more would feel The touch of a heart strung a open mind Are the gentle lips of a lady who loved him For the plow is sharp and the furrows deep each hand on earth has sown its seed Dear ones, dear ones, please do not weep For our grave is no more real than you are Our time has come to go back to the sea where our fathers and mothers sing the old songs oh and as the mountain pushed them deep they breathed in the air of the salty sea and still their hands were clasped together They fell into a breathless sleep Dear ones, dear ones, please do not weep For our grave is no more real than you our time has come to go back to the sea Where our fathers and mothers sing the old song Where our fathers and mothers sing the old song In Ashland, as in many towns across the United States, 
There's a designated hour, usually 7 or 8 p.m., when everyone steps out from their homes and apartments and begins cheering and howling and making noise. It's a time to let the local healthcare workers know how much we love and appreciate them. It's also a time to lift the spirits of those who feel alone and downhearted. Last night, I walked my street and saw my neighbors, parents standing and clapping with small children, an elderly couple ringing a cowbell, two young women shouting their appreciation to healthcare workers, neighbors waving and cheering and calling across the street to one another, hey, here we are, still here. Isn't it good to be alive? We are small, fragile beings with short lives, and we need a lot of help and compassion and humor to make it through. So if you feel tired and burdened, if you wake up at night full of worry and dread, if you find yourself sitting for hours in front of the television, eating dog food and drinking beer, take heart. You are not alone. We are all going through this passage together. So we all might as well surrender. This is a hard time. Let the tears come. Let the sadness come, knowing that no matter what befalls us, life will continue to call to us like the lone hermit thrush, like the old songs of our mothers and fathers, drawing us forward despite the grief, reminding us of the deepest truth whispered by the mystics of every wisdom tradition, that no matter what we suffer, everything is going to be okay. Homebound Oregon is produced by The Hearth out of Ashland, Oregon, with support from the Jackson County Cultural Coalition and the Ford Family Foundation. Piano accompaniment by Dan Sherrill. Sound recordings by Tom Frederick. Joseph Pilgrim is our sound engineer. And I'm your host, Mark Iaconelli. For links to our featured musicians and for more information on The Hearth and Homebound Oregon, go to thehearthcommunity.com. Dot com.